I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Since the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass, in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of faith as it is this day. And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we, are, we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. You may be seated. And uh, if you haven't been watching the news, I don't know if you saw, some 1,200 people came across last night, just last night alone at our borders. 1,200 people. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, maybe, but it is a lot of people. You line up 1,200 people, that's a lot of folks crossing our border. Uh, when you're reading the book of Ezra, just know it's kin to the book of Nehemiah. And so if you read it, Ezra, being the priest, is the one that's trying to ignite and in charge the people up to do what the work of the Lord uh, that needs to be done. And he's talking about revival, and they see the rebuilding of the wall as revival. And so when I got to thinking about uh, what's happening in our nation, if you look around, you see a lot of humanism. You see a lot of evolution. Uh, you see a lot of new age. You see a lot of cults. And, uh, and you see uh, maybe what's politically correct but not biblically correct happening today. And you see that a lot around us. And so I began to think our nation needs to turn back to the Lord and away from the ways of men. And uh, men have a way of thinking, and there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so uh, we need to turn to the Lord. Ezra is here to ignite these folks, to encourage them, to strengthen them, uh, to tell them, listen, our trespasses, our iniquities have put us in the position that we're in. But boy, think about this phrase right here, and you ought to underline this in your Bible. And now for a little space, grace, grace has been showed. Hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the fact that uh, we have a president that's helping our economy, but I believe as Christians, we got a little space of time right now that we didn't have even just two years ago. And I don't know how long this space of grace is going to take place, but we have an opportunity to really put forth the Word of God. And I believe we're in a generation that does not know God as they should, and you look around, you knock on doors, and uh, people really don't know or understand God as they should. The majority of their information, the majority of the way people live their lives are based upon what's on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, and HBO, and Stars, and whatever else is out there. And so they really believe some of that stuff is real life, and they're into reality TV, and they don't know God as they should. But I believe we still have to take on the responsibility for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, he's talking about a little space of revival. God uh, giving them a little reviving in their bondage. And listen, uh, things are not perfect in our nation at all, but boy, we live in a free nation. If you've not made it to Honduras or El Salvador, or you've not been down in some of those southern areas that some of those people are trying to escape, you have no idea how bad it is and why they would want to come to the United States. There's a lot of reason to want to come here. In this case, they were trying to protect their borders. <laughs> In this case, they were trying to protect what God had given unto them. And I can see in the scriptures where a wall was being built to protect what God had given them. 
And, and as I look at this, we have to take on responsibility for reaching our area for Christ and doing it God's way. Now, you want to know something? I don't think it's all bad that all these people are trying to come into the United States. We're getting fired up about it, but maybe we're not sending enough missionaries to Honduras and El Salvador and uh, Mexico and all that, so they're coming over here, and at least the gospel's still being preached over here. And one of the things that might be happening is, is God might be doing something, and we're getting angry about it rather than praying about it. And Ezra was making confession and identified the great need of the people and the need for revival of the people. And really, God's people ought to be revived. Uh, there's a mission field all around us. Right here in Minster, Ohio, there's a mission field all around us, and people need Christ. And so the challenge for us is, is to reach out to those folks. And I think that I would encourage the church to do this, and myself as well, and, and the people of, of Calvary, just to be praying for this little space that the Lord's grace will usher in a time of revival. And I've been really praying for revival, not just here in our church, but in our nation. But I've been specifically praying for myself and for Calvary and the members of Calvary and all the people that do attend here for God to create an environment of revival in us. And what it takes is for us to be allowed to quickened or be quickened by God again to see the need that's all around us. And believe me, we have a mission field. When you walk outside these doors, there are people all around us that need Jesus Christ. As I look at this, I share with you to start preparing and praying every service. You come to a Wednesday night service and you say, well, generally it's just going to be this small group of people, but you know, revival can break out in a service just like this. And we have got to have a heart for that. And what I'm sharing with you is, is that are you preparing and praying as you come to even a Wednesday night service or as you come to every service and saying to yourself, Lord, send forth your grace in our hearts to begin revival, even in a service just like this. And we ought to have a spirit of that. We ought to be expecting God to do something every time we walk through these doors. But you know what? We ought to be expecting God to do something every time we walk outside these doors. We ought to be expecting God to do something that all should come to repentance, amen, that none should perish. And so we have a mission field all around us. And so I challenge us just to take this in and take this thought in. Do you prepare and pray and know that there is hope for revival? Hey, listen, we ought to pray and prepare every service. And listen, for revival, every service. And why should we do that? Well, through God's grace, we can do that. <laughs> We can do that because of our standing in Christ Jesus. We ought to have a great expectation of God doing something in every service. And we ought to do it because God is merciful. And he shows his mercy not only to us, but to those that are unsaved, he shows his mercy. And so I'm challenging us just to think this way. I want to talk about God's grace for a moment. If you look in verse 7, he said, Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to the spoil, and to the confusion of face, as it is this day. And now, for a little space, grace has been shown from the Lord our God. I believe right now, in our nation, in the United States of America, we got a small space, a small window. Now, this window may only last two more years. It may last six more years, but it's not going to last very long. And God has given us opportunity to say things more boldly than we have probably in the last 18 years. 
And, and I think we can be bold about some things as believers, as Christians, and we ought to be that way all the time, but I believe we have this space, and it's God's grace that's doing this. And the grace of God is still available. It's abundant, and it's for a little space, meaning for a period of time. And we're living in this church age, and the next event on God's timetable is the rapture. Amen? And so what is next to come after this? So we have this time, we have this amount of space. It could be two years, it could be six years, it could be 50 years. You say, well, preacher, why should we be concerned about it? Because the rapture could occur at any moment. And the next thing on God's timetable is that. That should motivate us by God's grace to realize that we ourselves are in captivity, but the world, the nation itself, and the United States is in captivity to sin. When you listen to things on television and you hear some of the stuff that you're hearing and you're thinking, good night, where are we? And what is it that people actually want for our nation? And we have, we have a president that's talking about building a wall. We have Ezra here with Nehemiah talking about building a wall. Why? To protect the borders of Jerusalem. Isn't that what it was for? And we're talking about protecting our borders, and yet you have a whole host of people that are trying to tear it down. You go read the book of Nehemiah, and you can see Tobiah and Sambalot in there are trying to get him to not build the wall. Is that right? And so you've got a whole host of people that are saying, don't do this. You've got a president, a leader, who's saying we need to do this. We're saying we're in a crisis. Ezra was saying we're in a crisis. And what God's saying is there's opportunity for revival to begin. There's a little reviving. Now God's still sitting on the throne. How many of you say amen to that tonight? Amen. And he shows grace to man, does he not? And God's still sitting on the throne. He's in the soul-winning business. And that's what our business ought to be. So the details of Ezra's time is no different than what we see today. Sin is all around us every day. It's, it, it is only uh, the grace of God that, that those sins be forgiven. And, and listen, my sins were forgiven by a holy, righteous God. And the holy, righteous God still sits on the throne. And he forgives people their sins. And we're living in a nation where we have heathens all around us. There's people living unholy lives. Uh, they're not living for God. Uh, and even the religious are around us, just like it was in Christ's day. Nothing's really changed. And it doesn't change the, the command that we have to go and to win the lost. <laughs> And the challenge of our hearts is this. And believe me, folks, when you start reaching out to others, when you start witnessing to others, God begins to change your heart. When you witness, God changes your heart. And He'll begin to do some things in your life. To see revival, I believe Calvary must be in preparation of heart. Look at Ezra chapter 10 with me for a moment. Look at verse 1. He says, Now when Ezra had prayed... And when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very how sore. I want you to think about this thought. I just prayed a me- I preached a message a week ago. Nothing happens until we've what? I want you to read that verse again. Now when Ezra had done, what did he do? He prayed, didn't he? When Ezra prayed, but notice what he did. He confessed. He wept. He cast himself down before God in the house of God. What began to happen? It says then that when that occurred, there assembled unto him out of Israel a small group of people. A very little small group of people. Is that what it says? It says a very great what? Congregation, isn't it? It began to grow because people began to pray. Ezra himself praying for God to do something. And so we must be praying. The preparation begins with confession of sin, seeking God's forgiveness, and praying. We're praying to God to do something. 
And we ought to walk into this house, this house of God, expecting every service for God to do something. Expecting God to do something because He is God. And God is in the soul-winning business. And we ought to be in His business, and we ought to be doing some of that stuff ourselves. Reaching out to people. We've got Easter coming up. What are we celebrating? The resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something to get excited about. We have something to invite people to church for. We have to tell them there is a Savior. He is risen. He's no longer in the tomb. And by the way, He's not hanging on a cross anymore either, is He? My Savior is a risen Savior. We have something to get excited about. It's called the grace of God. And He has showed us this little space of some time to get excited about it. So Ezra came to God through confession, and he had expectancy that revival can, will, and is going to happen. And let me, let me get you to write this verse down. You don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah 29. In Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your hearts. When are we going to find God? <laughs> when are we going to see God? When is that going to happen for us? Preacher, how can you possibly think all of this is going to happen? Because he's God. That's why I believe it happens. That's why I think that God's going to fill up this house. That's why I believe the multitudes are going to start coming in. That's because I believe that each and every person sitting in here has a responsibility before God to reach people with the gospel. If that's handing out a track or inviting someone to church or encouraging somebody to be in God's house, listen, God has showed us a space of time and He wants to utilize it for His glory. And what we need to do as a church body is glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what he's looking for. And it's going to take men and women of Calvary to cast themselves down in the house of God before his face and begin praying to God that God do something because pastor has no ability, but God has all things and he has all things in his hands and by him all things are possible. And we need to get excited about our God. We need to get excited about what he's capable of doing. You know, God's able to send revival folks through obedient hearts. He wants Christians to have obedient hearts. And by the way, uh, obedience isn't just a set of rules. Obedience is having a heart for what's right according to God's word, his standard. And, and when I obey his word, he begins to do something and he can send forth revival. And I believe it's time for a little reviving. It begins with God. And listen, it's permitted to have free reign in our life, and God is the righteous one. He's the one that wants to do something. And he's looking for us just to have prepared hearts when we walk in here. Do we come in with a humdrum spirit and attitude, or are we coming expecting God to do something tonight? Are you expecting the Lord to have someone walk through the door tonight that's never been in our church before? Are you expecting God to, to help us win souls to Christ? Are you expecting God to do anything in our services? And listen, if we come with no expectation, don't expect anything, amen? But if we come expecting something, we can then begin to watch what God is capable of doing. And we just have to have the desire of heart. We cannot stand before Him, but only by the shed blood of our Savior, amen? And that's how we stand before. And that's how we're going to draw people in. God helps us see the grace that is given unto us as a church. And he, he, His grace should motivate us to win the lost. You know, folks, I believe there's hope. And it's going to come through God's people recognizing our need for His grace for revival in every service. I believe every one of us in here tonight ought to just drop to our knees and begin to pray to God. God, we're expecting you to do something. We're expecting you to do something, Lord. And listen, we ought to expect things of our God, amen? 
We ought to have an expectation of Him. But when we do, I do not see in the Scriptures anywhere where God ever blessed laziness. You show me a verse where He blessed laziness. He never did. When we have expectancy of God, we ought to put ourselves to work. Amen? We ought to do something about it. We ought to reach out to people. And you say, well, preacher, sometimes it's embarrassing. And, and I don't know what this person's going to say. I don't know how they're going to react. Listen, give it to them and let God deal with it. Amen? Hand them the track. Hand, them the, hand it out to them. Tell them. Invite them. Tell them when the services are. Tell them where we're located if you have to. But listen, do not not do anything if we're going to pray and expect God to do something. Then we ought to be active. Would you agree? You show me one passage in the Scripture where God blessed laziness. Not one time did he ever bless laziness. God blesses proactiveness. Would you agree? He wants us to be active. He wants us to be doing something. And I'm not talking about just busyness. I'm talking about having prayed and sought the Lord to do something in our hearts, in our lives as individuals. And as we come together in the unity of the faith, we begin to pray together. And our expectation is God is going to do something. And believe me, he will. <laughs> he will. Now, I challenge you with this. Prepare your heart for revival. Every service, begin praying, asking the Lord for His grace to bring revival through His grace. Secondly, I want you to think about this. Have confidence for revival. Why? Well, I have a position with Christ. I have a position with Christ. I am in Christ. Heaven is my home. I'm partnering with my Savior right now. What He says in this verse, He says, And now for a little space, grace has been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. When I look at this, his nail is in a holy place. I want to tell you something. When I look at this, a phrase that should stir our heart is the temple was the nail that supported the nation of Israel. That nail is Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. I have a position in Christ. Amen? You have a If you're saved, you have a position in Christ Jesus. And we ought to be able to go with confidence and speak to others about the position that we have in Christ. Listen, he is using us as ambassadors. Has he not told us in the scriptures that we are ambassadors for Christ? That we're here to help reconcile the lost to the holy righteous God. God has left us a commandment. He has left us something that we need to do. Ezra is praying and placing himself with the people in their sin. And he asked God, show your grace for a time, Lord. Acknowledging past sins and the opportunity for present deliverance. And God can deliver this, this coming Christ that we have, folks. He is going to deliver us from this ever-present sinful world one day. And when that rapture occurs, which is the next thing on the calendar, he's going to deliver us from this. There are going to be people that are going to stand at a judgment. And you're either going to stand in judgment at the white, uh, great white throne judgment, or you're going to stand at the beam of seat of Christ. And listen to me. If you are unsaved, you will stand at the great white throne judgment, and you will die and spend an eternity in hell. That means you're never getting out. But, if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we have a position in Christ. <laughs> and that position that we have in Christ ought to give us boldness and confidence for Jesus Christ. What I'm sharing with you is, is we have a standing. He is the nail in the holy place that keeps the church together. 
He said in Matthew 16, 18, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to know, he said, listen, Peter, you're a little pebble. And Jesus is talking about himself now. And he says, and upon this rock, he's talking about himself. He is not talking about a religion or a pope. He is talking about himself. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against anything Christ is building. Are you with me? The gates of hell cannot prevail against anything that Jesus Christ is building. And so what we have to have in our hearts and our minds is, is we have a position with Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the one that's building this church. And I want you to know that we have a responsibility to reach this community with the gospel. And when I looked at this, he said that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what is it going to take for revival to begin now? Because <laughs> he ain't getting rid of this church. Because this church is built upon Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he ain't getting rid of it. The devil can't do that. And God wants to do something. So what are we going to do about it? When I look at this, go to God. And go to Him without excuse, folks. Go to Him without excuse. And when you go to God, throw yourself down before Him and ask Him, God, begin raining down Your righteousness upon us. Begin raining down Your righteousness upon us, Lord. That's what we're looking for. Listen, when I look at verse 1 there, they prayed, they confessed, they wept, they cast themselves down before God. You say, preacher, this is Old Testament. I want you to know in James chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll do what? Draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now the Bible's clear, isn't it? Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that there is a responsibility that we have to submit ourselves to God. Ezra is telling the people, we have this little space of time. We're going to build this wall in Jerusalem and Judah. And listen, we're going to make this thing happen. And God gave them that remnant and that little space of time to make this thing happen. And believe me, right now in the United States and right here at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church in Minster, Ohio, God has given us a space of time and we need to take advantage of it right now. And we need to go after folks and share the gospel with them. Ask the Lord to help us prepare for a time of revival. Hey, listen, it is not a speaker rolling into town. That is not revival, folks. Revival is about what God's doing in your heart, not about the man standing at the pulpit speaking. Now, listen, God can use a man at a pulpit speaking, but God wants to use you. <laughs> That's who he wants to use. He's not going to do it just through a guest speaker. He's going to do it in your hearts if you're willing to let him do it. He's going to ha make something happen inside of you to cause you to want to do this. So it's not a speaker. You know what I believe it is? It's really allowing the Word of God to have an effect on us. Does God's Word have an effect on you anymore? Does it even bother you? Does it, does it, does it, uh, do you spend time with Him? Do you talk to Him? Do you get in His Word? Does His Word have an effect upon your heart anymore? Are you moved by what God says? Do you read the Word of God? Is God moving in your life? Is there something happening? Do you open it up? Do you understand that it's alive? It's not a dead book. It's a live book. And whenever he speaks, he's not speaking. Uh, just to hear himself speak, he's speaking to our hearts. His word's alive. When I look at this, ask the Lord to help us to prepare our hearts and be ready to receive every service. You know, our standing in Christ makes heaven our home. This should give us hope for revival. 
This should give us hope for revival. The last thought is this. I thank God for his mercy. God's forgiveness gives confidence to us for revival. When I look at this last verse here, he says that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of God of our God and to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. You know, folks, God's mercy, we're exposed to the prayer of Ezra and we see the results of prayer found in Nehemiah at the rebuilding of the wall. Revival came through obedience and prayer. Revival came through obedience and prayer. Can't separate the two, by the way. Can't separate the two. When I think about this, let me challenge you to pray that the Lord will lighten your eyes and He will bring forth His mercy and cause us to be revived. It's not obedience or prayer, but I believe it's obedience and prayer. We need to be praying, folks. We really do. It can't be a Lone Ranger situation. It has got to be a body of believers coming together in the unity of the faith, praying for God's hand to move. It has to be the unity of the faith. It's not a Lone Ranger situation. It's a unity of the faith. It's a body of believers coming together, praying for revival. You know, how long shall a Christian ignore God and be absent from personal time and prayer or prayer together? And I, I look to the Scriptures, and so many times, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I see the need to pray. Pray that the Lord will lighten our eyes as a body of, and bring forth revival. How many of you know the passages in 2 Chronicles 7.14? We can probably just say it right off the top of our head, can't we? And, and the thing of it is, you go there and you look in Chronicles and you see a time that God said, hey, listen, if my people, anybody with me now? Who are called by what? What are we called? What are we called? Christians. Are we called by his name? If my people who are called by my name, what does he say? If they will what? Humble themselves and what's the next thing? I just want to stop right there. I mean, I know the rest of the verse, but I just want you to get all of this. If my people will humble themselves and pray. What did he say we need to do? Pray. Right? Seek his face. He said he'll heal our land, didn't he? He told us what he'll do, but it requires us to be humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil. Isn't that what the Bible says? Draw nigh unto God and he'll do what, folks? Draw nigh unto you. No different than Second Chronicles, are you with me? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray. When you go to James chapter 4 and you read verses 7 through 10, what does he tell that last, in that last verse, in, in verse 10 of chapter 4, what does he tell us that we ought to do? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what will he do? He'll lift you up. God's looking for people who pray, who really get on their knees and worship him in spirit and in truth. God's looking for us as a church body to pray and really seek him out for what he wants to accomplish. He's not going to do it otherwise. As I share this thought with you, in verse 9, it states that we were bonded. If you're saved, you're no longer in bondage to sin. Praise God. Amen? But there are people all around us in bondage, aren't they? They're in bondage to sin. And, and so what is going to relieve them from that bondage? What's going to release them from that bondage? 
Jesus Christ. Just as the nation of Israel did not have to serve other kings any longer, you don't have to serve sin any longer. Isn't that a wonderful thing about salvation? God told us we are freed from sin. We no longer have to serve sin. Just like they didn't have to serve these Persian kings, as a saved individual, you no longer have to serve sin. You have an opportunity to do something else. There's hope. It takes Christians to decide they're going to give their lives fully over to the Lord. If you're saved and members of this body, let us pray together for a time of revival. Let us really pray for revival, asking God to do something. I have no ability, folks. I can only preach the Word of God to you. You have to decide and I have to decide that God's Word holds true, and we have to set expectations for our God. We have to expect God to do something. We have to expect Him to reach out and save some souls. Hey, for a little space, grace has been showed. Let's bring our confession and prayer to God for revival. Let me give you something. I wrote down, I wrote seven of these down, and you can write this down. You can write this phrase down, and maybe you can just grasp this. Make a commitment to. Make a commitment to. Four-word phrase, make a commitment to. Now, let me tell you what you can make a commitment to. It's just simple. Make a commitment to pray. Make a com- Not to me. Make a commitment to pray to God. Pray to Him. Make a commitment to pray and ask God to bring forth revival here in our hearts. Make a commitment to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Do you prepare your heart for the service of the Lord when you come to the house of God? What's on your mind? Rest, sleep, snoozing? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's on your mind. And I know it's hard to come in here on a Wednesday night and say, Preacher, what are we supposed to do? Make a commitment to prepare your heart. How do you do that? I believe you pray, you confess, and you ask the Lord to bring forth revival. When you make that commitment to pray, say, Lord, examine me. Make a commitment to be examined by the Lord. Let God examine your heart. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. He says in Psalm 5.8, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Make a commitment to pray to be led in the righteousness of God. Make a commitment to pray for this church body. Make a commitment to pray for this church body. Pray for people by name. You can see their faces just like I can. I mean, when I'm kneeling and I'm praying, I can see your faces. God brings your face to my remembrance. And I pray for your faces as I see them. And God can do that in your life. Pray for the family of Calvary that will reach the lost in our community. Pray to make a commitment that those people who are steeped in religion and lives of unrighteousness, the Lord would lighten their eyes. Make a commitment to pray that God would lighten their eyes. Make a commitment to pray that God would lighten their eyes. Listen, people are steeped in religion and there's heathens all around us and we're trying to move people from being a heathen to holy living. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And only God has the capability of accomplishing that. But make a commitment to pray about it. That we might turn them from darkness to light. Isn't that what it says in the New Testament? I mean, Paul being spe- is the one, uh, Luke writing, but Paul speaking that he might move them from, and Christ actually saying the words to move them. Make a commitment to pray that the Lord bring forth revival in the life of this church. I want to read a verse to you, and I'm done. Turn to Psalm 51 with me, if you will. Psalm 51. If you're with me, say amen. 
Look at verse 9. The Bible says in verse 9, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Notice what it says in verse 13. He's asking God to do this. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He's asking God to examine him and look at him and create a clean spirit in him, isn't he? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a what? Right spirit within me. He's asking God to do something. Make a commitment to pray believing. Don't go to God in, in absent-mindedness. Go to him praying believing. Pray believing as you come to God. Yet now there is hope concerning this thing, he says. Look at verse 2 of chapter 10. He said, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. You know, God and have taken away strange wives of the people of the land, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. You know what started all that? It says, when Ezra had prayed. 